Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. This episode of iPad Pros is sponsored by Fantastical, the calendar and task app you won't be able to live without. Now that I've had the time to actually research and read about and test, hey, what I find really interesting about it is how they're trying to change the default behaviors of email. It shouldn't be that anybody should just be allowed to email you by default. And so they have this feature called the screener, which allows you to basically just like you can screen phone calls and say, no, I don't want this person to ever call me again. You can effectively approve folks that want to send you messages. Also, what I like is how they separate, you know, messages from people, from newsletters, from also receipts and other kinds of updates. All the different little touches that they have, like built-in support for saving little bits of text from your messages as clips. Uh, you can reply to something later. You can save messages as bookmarks in the in a feature called Set Aside. All these little custom features on top of email. Like for the first time in years, I feel like I've been able to breathe when I open my inbox. Welcome to episode 100 of iPad Pros. On this very special episode of iPad Pros, I'm excited to welcome Federico Batici to the podcast. You probably know Federico from his work at his website, MacStories.net, and the various Relay.fm podcasts he's on, including Connected, Remastered, and Adapt. He's also on several Mac Stories podcasts, including App Stories, Mac Stories Unwind, and Mac Stories Unplugged. Federico has been working on the iPad for many, many years at this point, and is such a great advocate for those that want to get work done on the iPad. He is a shortcuts wizard and the perfect guest for this very special episode of iPad Pros. Before we dive into this episode, I want to spend a minute to thank Fantastical for sponsoring episode 100 of iPad Pros. Fantastical is my favorite calendaring app for iPad and iPhone. If anyone ever asks me what to get if they've outgrown the built-in calendar app for iPad, the answer is Fantastical. And for a very limited time, you can get 20% off an entire year of Fantastical Premium, or if you opt for the monthly option, your first month of Fantastical Premium. Just go to flexibits.com slash iPadPros. That's www.flexibits.com slash iPadPros to get 20% off Fantastical Premium. If you've held off on trying out premium version of Fantastical, now is the perfect time to jump in. By jumping in now, you not only get 20% off, but you can also show your support of iPad Pros by signing up at that special link. I'll be sharing more later on in this episode about Fantastical and why it really is the best calendaring solution in the Apple ecosystem, especially on iPad. My thanks to Fantastical for sponsoring this episode of iPad Pros. Well, it's time. Here's my interview with Federico Vitici for episode 100 of iPad Pros. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Federico. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. This is fun. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm excited to dive into a lot of things. Uh, I first want to start just kind of the history. You started working, I guess, more exclusively from the iPad back with the Air 2. Mm-hmm. And that's been some six years. I'm just wondering, like six years ago, looking today, is there anything that would have kind of shocked you with how the hardware and software's evolved over those years? That's a good question. Um so I think I actually started working on the iPad before the iPad Air 2, but I just I wrote my first big story uh, about the iPad Air 2 because it was the model that was current at the time. And it actually all started uh, back in 
2012. When I talked about this before, I was undergoing cancer treatments and I needed to work from the hospital. And uh, I just couldn't find a way to work, uh, you know, to write and to manage the Mac Stories team from a MacBook Air, which was my, my main computer at the time. And so that's how I approached the iPad initially, just out of the sheer necessity of working from a hospital bed and constantly moving around between hospitals having a cellular connection that was super important. And that was actually with the mini, right? Whereas it's even more uh, conducive to that environment. Yes. Then I switched. So initially I started with the iPad with the iPad uh, 3, the, the new iPad, the first uh, Retina one. And then I moved for that very reason, I moved to the, to the mini. And then in 2014, I made the big leap to the iPad Air 2. And that's when I wrote that first big story about using the iPad Air 2 as my main computer. And in terms of what would have shocked me, I think at the time, the notion of having a pro line of iPads, I think a lot of people would have laughed at that uh, because it, for a lot of people, it would have sounded ridiculous. And maybe to an extent, to me as well, it would have, I guess, going back in time, it would sound strange, the idea of, hey, you know, in six years, uh, you know, you're going to have an iPad Pro and it's going to have this crazy performance and it's going to be actually bigger at 12.9 inch. You're going to have a stylus and you're going to have an external keyboard with a trackpad. At the time, I think a lot of people were pretty set on the idea of the iPad is a tablet. And if you want to try and turn it into something else, you're going against... I guess, Steve Jobs' original vision. So I think the whole idea of the iPad Pro as a line, as it is today, maybe going back in time, it would sound strange. Yeah, and this was before we had those more premium iPhones that expanded that line mm -hmm. as well. So looking at today, it's like, of course we have Pro iPads. Uh, Apple right. wants to make more margins and make better things. Right. That's why looking back um, at November 2015 with the introduction of the first iPad Pro, in hindsight, that is such a such a huge turning point for the for the whole iPad lineup, and it's actually it provides a quite nice clean break. You know, five years uh, after the original iPad, this new model and this new it, it's not just a new model of the iPad. It set the tone for the whole conversation surrounding iPad and productivity for the next five years. Because at the time, maybe we we didn't pay attention to that as much in 2015. But Apple was really saying, we now believe in this device as a computer and we stand behind it. We know that some people have been trying to, you know, to work on the iPad and the iPad Air and even the iPad Mini, but now we want to actually give you a pro iPad. And I think looking back, 2015 is also a very important date, as important, I think, for people who work on iPad as the introduction of the original modeling in 2010. Yeah. So over the years since the Pro iPad came out, we've had expansion of the OS, including this awesome ability for multiple Windows support, right. which is something I used to have to... I literally used two iPads next to each other uh, <laughs> to access different tabs of uh, uh, Google Sheets uh, spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. And now you can do that mm -hmm. on the same iPad. Uh, now that it's out, uh, do you find yourself using multi-window support? I do, but for very specific tasks. I think it's different from when, when multi-window first came out last year with iPadOS 13. A lot of people assumed that, oh, Apple is now trying to make the iPad more like a Mac. But there's a, I think there's a profound difference in that on the Mac, multi-window is the default way to operate the computer just because of the way the windows open on the Mac and you find yourself constantly managing windows and opening new ones because that's just the default behavior 
of the whole OS. And on iPad, I think multi-window is more like a feature. It's like a, a specific mode that you need to activate. It's like a, a flavor of split view and slide over and all these other multitasking features that we have. And for that reason, I have found myself using it, but in very constrained environments in very specific for very specific tasks for so for example sometimes i need to compare two versions of the same document because one of them has you know like a different introduction for example or a different conclusion and what i do is i open multiple windows in ia writer actually one that i found myself doing a lot lately over the past two months multi-window support in shortcuts I open one shortcut on one side and another shortcut on the other, and I can use copy and paste for actions. If I have an action that I know I've already configured in one shortcut and I want to paste it in another shortcut, I can do that with multi-window. So very specific situations. I try to clean up after myself as much as possible with multi-window because I don't like, uh, again, I don't like using it as I would on my Mac Mini, uh, you know, leaving all these windows open. I prefer to make sure that when I'm done, with that specific task, I close that window because I, I don't want to leave it always open. So I use it, but very intentionally and for very specific purposes. Yeah. Uh, how do you hope Split View in this multi-window improves over the years? I personally would love when you're in that one-third view, almost like a tall iPhone, to have that be able to be two little widget-sized apps horizontally split. That's something I'm hoping for. Are there any improvements you're looking for? Yeah, I think... The the obvious one is I would like to have three apps at once. I would like to have basically three compact views on screen at the same time. Sort of like, a, imagine like a tweet deck for apps. Uh, just because sometimes I find myself having the, the two apps in split view and then another in slide over. And I, and I always end up thinking, oh, this would be nice if I could actually have a, a three three apps in split view. And I think generally speaking, besides that, and I think it would also, you know, that would work especially well on a potentially bigger iPad Pro if such a thing were ever to exist. But more broadly speaking, I think what I would like to see Apple do is rethink the foundation of split view and slide over the way that you activate and manage those functionalities. Because as I argued in in my iOS and, and iPadOS 14 review a few months ago, the thing about split view is that it was designed and it was created in the era that preceded the magic keyboard and the trackpad and the pointer. And it shows. I think at this point you can tell which iPad features were designed with the pointer in mind and which ones came before the magic keyboard. It's it's actually quite obvious at this point. And, and I think we've reached the point where you can use split view and slide over with the pointer. And I do. I mean, I, I know how to use it. But I think it could be it could use a, a more intuitive method of activating split view that is not entirely dependent on drag and drop. So maybe new menus to activate split view, maybe integration with uh, search to put apps in split view, maybe um, some way to instantly recreate combinations of apps. This is something that Microsoft is doing, for example, on the, what's it called, the Surface Duo, the the, the folding thing that they have. You can save your favorite pairs of apps on the home screen. And then when you tap it, it recreates that split view for you. So maybe Apple, you know, they've borrowed from from Windows and Microsoft in the in the past with split view and slide over. Maybe they could take a look at that again. I think we could use a little more flexibility for power users, but at the same time, more and more intuitive activation method for all kinds of users. 
that works nicely both via touch with the keyboard and the pointer because those those are all the input methods that you got to account for in 2020 if you want to design a feature for iPad. Yeah, make it discoverable and yeah. usable for everybody and that'll benefit pro users uh, at the same time. Yeah. So I know you're into video games. You do uh, Remastered as uh, one of your podcasts. And uh, I'm also uh, very much in the console games more than iPad games. Uh, and I was mm-hmm. delighted when Sony updated their remote play app. Uh, the DualShock 4 is now fully supported. Before, it was just very basic uh, support. Now it supports the touch bar, the light bar, rumble, and all those non-standard buttons. Yeah. And it's really made the iPad kind of the perfect uh, device to play my PS4 on, and especially when I'm listening to podcasts, it kind of uses both uh, sound sources, which is great. Do you do much of this with you know remote playing either the Xbox or uh, the PlayStation on your iPad? I do. I haven't done it recently, but I used to. Uh, like I've done it a lot of times, especially before the summer. Uh, I basically stopped playing video games for the summer when I was working on the iOS review, and I just I picked it up again recently because I got an Xbox uh, Series. S, which also supports remote play on the iPad, and I'm waiting for my PS5. I have a bunch of PS4 games in my backlog that I want to get to, like The Last of Us Part 2, for example. I still need to finish God of War from two years ago, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, yeah I know. I'm, about, I'm, like, I'm approaching the end, but I never find the time to actually do it. Uh, and I figured at this point, I might, just, I might as well just play these games on the PS5 sure. and get slightly enhanced performance and graphics. And the PS5 already supports remote play, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm actually I'm actually going to start doing that again as well as for my for the Xbox I want to do it with the Xbox app uh supports the same feature as PlayStation uh something I will, I've also started doing this past week actually I've started playing old uh, Nintendo Wii and GameCube games on my iPad Pro again via Dolphin which is this emulator uh that supports controllers like the PS4 DualShock and something that's awesome about Dolphin which you can install using Alt Store which is this uh, like alternative app store that doesn't require jailbreaking your device and it lets you install emulators or kinds of utilities that you cannot get from the app store. Uh, something very nice is that as of iPadOS and iOS 14.2, which came out last week, two weeks ago, these emulators can now get better performance because they get access to just-in-time compilation. This is something that I actually want to write up on Mac Stories soon. But basically, this means that you now get full performance for GameCube, Nintendo Wii, you know, all kinds of emulators on your iPad. And because this emulator supports native 4K upscaling, it means you can play something like Super Mario Sunshine (laughs) or The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess, games from 15 years ago in 4K, which the GameCube (laughs) never actually supported. And it never drops a single frame. So GameCube game at 4K at 60 frames per second on an iPad Pro with a PS4 DualShock (laughs) controller like speaking of like going back in time and telling yourself hey someday you're gonna be able to do this on your iPad I think this you know falls under in in that list definitely I mean it's I I was playing um I was playing um, Metroid Prime 1 (laughs) last (laughs) night on my iPad Pro and I just thought wow this is pretty much incredible and I'm remembering correctly the GameCube 
was a four by three console, so it's actually yes. kind of perfect on iPad. It's perfect, but it's in four K because Dolphin. I don't know how to do it, but they have this automatic four K upscale. You can even install if you can find them online. You can even install like custom texture packs, so it, you can do all kinds of things. But just by default, you 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 flip a switch in settings and you say play this in four K, and it's Metroid Prime, the native four by three format. But it's in 4K and it looks so shiny and performance is incredible because, of course, the iPad Pro, I have the 2020 model with the A12Z. It's just, it handles that with no problem. And uh, yeah, so in this case, like remote play, you're actually streaming a game. But in this case, you're actually playing these games on an iPad. So yeah, it's, uh, as a gaming machine, I'm pretty satisfied with it. Yeah, I got to look into that. So the M1 Macs are now being reviewed and we're seeing some mm. incredible things just with Rosetta in it trouncing out you know intel laptops that are pretty well specced yeah do you think max that we now have good chips and this kind of unified architecture will that lead to more game developers doing these bigger console type games for ipad and mac now that's more of a unified ecosystem well I haven't seen benchmarks for for gpu performance yet but i'm gonna assume that, that they're gonna be a lot better than than the you know, regular Intel-based Macs. I think the biggest hurdle here would be the fact that Steam is such a, you know, Steam for PC. It's such a strong ecosystem at this point, and a lot of big companies, a lot of game developers don't necessarily appreciate all the restrictions that they have with the App Store and the Mac App Store. All kinds of things that, you know, both indie developers and bigger companies, I guess, they're used to doing with Steam. Something like early access, for example. You know, being able to release a game and update the game as people are playing like a beta or alpha version of the game. You cannot do that on the App Store. Well, I guess not just as easily. And... You know, Apple and there's there's also the thing that, you know, a lot of game developers, a lot of game companies, a lot of game journalists always point out how Apple doesn't get traditional console gaming, which is why they're doing their own thing with Apple Arcade. So right now I'm pretty skeptical that we're going to see, say, I don't know, the next Assassin's Creed, right, comes out for PS5, Xbox, PC, and macOS. Right. I'm very skeptical at this point. I don't know. Yeah. No, I'm I'm too. Uh, it'd be amazing if Apple TV got that A14 mm. chip to also be like a, a true console, you know, with that chipset. Yeah, yeah, because the Apple TV still has. I mean, the Apple TV 4K came out what two, three years ago at this point. Yeah, so, kind of old. Yeah. So USB C has been on the iPad now two years, and initially we were very excited. Like, what's this going to open up to us? Now that it's been out a while, what has it opened up? What's what are you finding useful in the long term here? So I would say that the 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 main thing that it that it allowed me to do was through a combination of multiple accessories and cables, lots of cables, <laughs> I was able to finally record my podcasts on an iPad Pro. And now the setup is not ideal because there are a bunch of limitations in the way that iPadOS deals with audio that shouldn't exist in 2020, really. And so I was forced to buy additional hardware and, and dongles and cables that I... Like when I record with my Mac, it's a much simpler setup. However, because of USB-C... I was able to finally do it on the iPad Pro as well. And that allowed me, as a result, to say, well, I don't need a... I used to have a MacBook Air. And I figured I don't need a portable Mac anymore because for those times when, say, I'm at the beach, for example, and I want to record from the beach house, I don't need to have a portable Mac. So I guess I can do it from the iPad Pro. And for when I'm at home, I can upgrade to a Mac Mini. So 
I have a 2018 Mac Mini, which I use a couple of times for a week, such as right now when we're recording. And then the rest of the week, it's turned off because I don't need it. So uh, USB-C for podcasting had a huge impact, especially for the summer, because I do love to spend as much time at the beach as much as possible. Also, I want to point out, I mean, it's just nice. Like, for example, when I when I want to get an, a new tattoo done, um, sometimes I need to make a Printout of the like if it's like a like like a like a word or a symbol something small that I w- want my tattoo guy to to do I need to you know print it out on a piece of paper and it's just nice to you know just grab a USB C key from my desk and plug it into the iPad Pro and then go we don't have a printer at home so I need to go to a to a shop that prints it for <laughs> me for like twenty cents because we don't have a printer. So that's nice. Just the freedom the, the peace of mind of knowing that any USB C accessory you can just you know plug it in if it works, which is my my big asterisk, my big downside here because I would like to see support for more accessories. And finally I would point out USB C for external displays. Part of the reason why I rethought my entire setup two years ago with the 2018 iPad Pro was I'm going to get a Mac Mini and I want to get an external display and I need to make sure that this display works both with the Mac Mini and the new iPad Pro. And all I need to do is unplug a single USB-C cable. So the reason why I got the ultra-fine 4K display, which doesn't look great, it's actually quite ugly. It's got these huge bezels, it's black, it clashes with my desk, but it works and it does what I need to do. It's a, it's a very good display as a, you know, as in terms of display quality. Yeah. And I can just plug in a USB-C cable and I can use my iPad Pro on an external display. So I think overall I would say... The freedom of knowing that a lot of USB accessories, you no longer need an adapter and you have the the peace of mind on plugging in a USB drive or, uh, you know, uh, just anything and and it shows up in files. Yeah. And I think we're about to have another big leap next year. The M series Max having Thunderbolt support Mm. on that. I can only imagine iPads will be getting that rather soon. It would be nice considering how the the M1 Max with Thunderbolt can, uh, they support two Thunderbolt Thunderbolt ports. It would be nice to have the same on an iPad Pro, to have two ports. Yeah, Yeah. it'd be great to have a port on each side. That'd be lovely. Yeah. So modular computing, that's something you've really dove into and spoken a lot about. And that's part of what makes the iPad the iPad. Like why use an iPad over a Mac? And part of this is modular computing. How has this idea progressed this year for you with you know the Magic Keyboard? We have Scribble now. Uh, were you finding yourself writing the review in different situations than you were for the iOS 13 review, for example? Yeah, the, the idea of modularity on an iPad Pro is really one of the main reasons why I love working on the iPad so much. And with the introduction of the Magic Keyboard, that accessory brought even more freedom to my setup. Most of the time these days, I'm I'm either working with the Magic Keyboard, um, so in portable mode, in laptop mode, either with the iPad on my lap or at a desk, or I'm mirroring the iPad Pro to to the external display that I mentioned a couple of minutes ago. But when I'm done... I can just so easily detach the iPad from the Magic Keyboard's case and it becomes a tablet again. And so that idea of switching modes is what makes the iPad so compelling as a, as a computer to me because I couldn't do the same thing on a Mac. What I also love is, is the freedom of having these different modes ensures that the iPad fits around my life and my habits 
and not the other way around. The computer fits to my lifestyle. I don't have to adapt to the computer. So if for some reason I'm like I'm feeling neck strain, for example, yesterday I wasn't feeling so well because I kept staring down uh, at the iPad Pro on my lap with the Magic Keyboard. And I figured, you know what? I can just keep working. I don't have to switch computers. I don't have to switch operating systems. I can just put the iPad in, in external display mode and work at my desk. And I'm looking straight, you know, I'm not staring down at the screen. I'm looking straight ahead at the display. So that that freedom of I can continue my work because the iPad supports different modes that makes a huge difference. And this summer, I did exactly that. I wrote with a magic keyboard, and I usually edited with in external display mode using the magic trackpad as as a and the magic keyboard, uh, the the standalone magic keyboard, not the iPad one. Yeah. Uh, as uh, as input uh, devices. So. And I don't use the pencil much. You mentioned scribbled, but I, I don't really use the pencil much because I'm not a I'm a keyboard guy. I mm-hmm. my handwriting is terrible and I never you know, I don't I don't take notes during meetings, I don't I, I'm not a student, I don't attend lectures or you know, classes. But that freedom of I can switch locations around the house and I can keep working and when I'm done I can detach it and hold it in my hands and go work on the sofa or you know outside on the balcony it's that makes such a huge difference and uh it's every time I do it I realize you know maybe someday portable Macs will have similar features but right now the iPad Pro is just superior for me yeah when you're in that desktop mode how do you kind of position the iPad so Face ID can see you while the screen is not just annoying seeing it mirrored and lit up in front of you as well? Yeah, just by the side of the desk so that I need to turn. If I, if I need to have like uh, Face ID authentication, yeah. I just turn toward the iPad and let it authenticate me. Uh, before the Magic Keyboard, I, uh, when, I was use, when I was using the Smart Keyboard Folio, I wrote about it and I had uh, pictures on Mac stories. I modified the smart keyboard folio with a bunch of kickstands that I bought on Amazon. These are smartphone kickstands made by Spigen. And they basically let you prop up your phone if you want to watch video in landscape or play a video game in landscape mode. But I was able to retrofit them for the iPad Pro. And so I enabled a different viewing angle for, especially for when I was working at my desk. I would put the iPad Pro with the smart keyboard folio propped up on these kickstands by the side of the ultrafine 4K. Uh, But now I just leave it in the Magic Keyboard instead. Yeah, I love the adjustability of the Magic Keyboard. It's really changed what you can do with this thing. I'd, I'd kind of wonder if it'd be like a nice little Kickstarter for someone to make a little basket that attaches to popular monitors that you can just throw your iPad in there and it's like perfectly aligned so all that's peeking out behind your monitor is the little Face ID camera or something. That would be a kind of interesting idea to create something where your iPad just like sticking out behind your monitor just to look at you. And it's just a camera that sticks right, out. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, that would be nice, actually. I do have room beneath the, the, the display, actually. Yeah, that would be nice. I've seen before, I think I've seen somewhere uh, there was an accessory that you would mount on your display to have like the iPad actually next to the display like in portrait mode yeah like an extension of your display that also looked pretty cool so back when you were writing about the air 2 the virtual keyboard was heavily used and of course when you're in hospital that was part of the reason you could use the ipad is the virtual keyboard in use much and we have this new like iphone mode of the keyboard which i'm finding useful to get out of the way when i'm working in different apps oh uh, man i i haven't 
written an article with the software keyboard in years, I think. No, I, yeah. I primarily use the iPad Pro as a, with, a, with the Magic Keyboard or just a, an external keyboard these days. And when I do use the software keyboard, it's, it's for lightweight tasks like sending an iMessage or replying to something on Slack. And it's because I've switched modes and I'm on the sofa. I'm just working uh, with the iPad in tablet mode, right? Yeah. Maybe there was like one instance when I published like a linked post with a software keyboard, but really, I just see no reason to do it. Right. Right. Uh, at the time, it was arguably there were no great external keyboards for the iPad, if at all. Yeah. And now I just have, you know, the Magic Keyboard. And even with the smart keyboard before, it's just so much better. The software keyboard in smartphone mode, in iPhone mode with the floating thing, it just feels kind of awkward, especially on the 12.9-inch iPad Pro. It's just... I don't know. That th- that the that display is so large when you're holding it in your hands. Doing the swipe typing thing on the keyboard it just feels kind of awkward to me. I think it makes more sense on smaller iPads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the iPad Air or maybe even the iPad Mini. Yeah. So, moving forward with modularity, what do you think the next steps would be? I personally would love touchscreen external monitors mm-hmm. uh, yeah. or just better external support in general yeah that that's it for me as well i think well actually two things one is um, better integration with audio workflows for podcasting uh i think i should be able to have the same setup that i have on my mac when i want to record a podcast on the mac i can just plug in my usb interface my microphone or you could even just use a usb microphone without a usb interface in the middle and just start talking and you record your own audio your own microphone's audio into quicktime and I should be able to do this on the iPad Pro as well. I should be able to do it. I don't see why this shouldn't be possible. There's, I think Apple, at this point, they know that podcasting is a pretty huge deal. And it's an industry where thousands of creators have been able to share their uh, their spoken content over the years. And yet, if they want to do it properly, or if they want to do it with more control, they need to use a, uh, a PC or a Mac. Uh, and so that would make a huge difference for me. And also, the second thing, of course, I agree with you, better external display support. I don't think I would need a, a, an external touchscreen display. I would be pretty happy if they just said, now that we have a pointer and now that we have a multi-window support, you can now do things like drag a window on an external display and you can control it on that display using the pointer. Now, maybe Apple doesn't want to go there in terms of if they enable external display support, they know that's going to be a feature that only works if you have a pointer and if you mm-hmm. have you know an external input method. Uh, but hey, I mean, they've done it with the Mac. It's not like they cannot figure it out. And I think we, a lot of people have shown over the years the benefits of working on an external display because it's higher you avoid you know for for ergonomical reasons uh it's better for your neck it may be better for your eyesight and i think i mean just it just feels kind of obvious that this should be the next big thing for pro users right Right. Uh, whether you're a photographer or a video editor or again a podcaster or even just a writer and you want to have for example, two two big windows of a document you're working on side by side on an external display. And I think now that we have multi-window support and the pointer, 
all the like the the core technologies the, the well i guess the core features that would be needed for an external display which is you need to manage windows and the ipad can do that and you need to have a pointer and the ipad now has that so now apple just need to build in the you know the proper support at a system level but i think for modularity yeah displays uh, audio and I guess if you were a video person or a photography person you would have different requests but these are all the things I can think about yeah and as you were talking I was realizing not just mirroring and making it a better mirror but extending the screen so you have oh yeah different apps on the different screens and the ones that you want to touch can be on your iPad and the ones up top they, they can oh, yeah, absolutely things. yeah yeah, yeah, just like on the Mac, you could have like a secondary home screen just for your external display, and you can ex- you could extend those apps, and then yeah, I guess you could you could choose right. You could say I actually simply want to mirror my iPad, or I want to extend my iPad and have an additional display for my iPad. I think that's what what when we say better external display support, I think we all mean by default extended display mode. Yeah, uh, because mirroring we we've been using for a few years now, but we want more. Yeah, and I could imagine on that second display display that's bigger you could have those three ipad apps uh, as you were talking about earlier yeah right yeah i know i know yeah <laughs> and as you're speaking about audio support something that just baffles me is there's no picker of the microphone so if i hook up usb c microphone to my ipad i can't even guarantee that skype or facetime would use yep. that and, and in fact most of the time it defaults to the internal mic even if i have something hooked up yeah i cannot tell you how many times over the years we've done tests with the mac stories team when we would just have a bunch of skype calls <laughs> because just you need to do it randomly right you, you cannot you don't have the absolute guarantee that the system will pick up audio from that microphone that you plug into the ipad pro uh you need to we we've done a bunch of tests with skype and facetime and uh yeah, I mean, it, there should just be a, like an, either a page in settings or something in control center that just lets you pick the audio uh, input for your system. Yeah, you're able to pick the headphones. So just in that same picker, <laughs> pick the mic in, if you're in some yep. app. Yeah. Yep. So Safari got a big update uh, a while ago now. Has this desktop class, as Apple calls it, Safari, how has that impacted your day-to-day usage of the iPad and what you're able to do in Safari? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for us is that we're now able to access the MailChimp uh, web interface from the iPad. And we use MailChimp for the Club Mac Stories newsletters. And so whether it's about checking out, che- checking in on the template that we have for the week or making a few edits to the, to the next issue or just um, managing our subscribers. Sometimes MailChimp does a bunch of weird things where they archive or unsubscribe people accidentally and we need to go in and fix it um, before it was just unusable on the iPad and ever since they enabled desktop mode uh, last year it's it's been such a huge relief knowing that while not perfect because a bunch of like a bunch of features are still not working great with the uh, with the iPad OS version of Safari but by and large, it does work. And uh, we've noticed just similar improvements, for example, in our WordPress uh, backend for Mac Stories, and just having a desktop layout that actually works and support for hover states in the WordPress UI that also made things a lot easier to manage. And um, I'm trying to think of other web apps that we that we use. I would say the MailChimp and WordPress are probably the biggest two. And also, I think it's nice for like for personal y- use cases. I think it's nice that um, I can see the desktop uh, YouTube website with an actual desktop player, and I can pick 
the video quality from there. And I think, yeah, overall for work, MailChimp and WordPress are the biggest two. And generally speaking, like, for example, my bank's website, right? <laughs> it even it works better because yeah. it now thinks that I'm using a computer. So yeah, all those things, just the, the fact that we finally moved away from this enlarged iPhone websites on an iPad, it just feels a lot nicer and you get access to a lot more features that for some reason a lot of web developers just were not implementing for iPad users before. Yeah. Uh, where does it still fall apart for you? For me, like Squarespace is a technology mm. platform that just does not play nice with these updates and other things like that for you. We use Rackspace as our CDN and the Rackspace um, online web app uh, isn't great on iPad. There's a bunch of drop downs that don't work. We actually want to, I want to move away from the Rackspace because I really dislike yeah. uh, the whole system. Um, <laughs> uh, well, besides that, really, I don't have any major issues, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, just uh, the CDN situation isn't great. And um, no, I don't have, I really, the, the, the biggest frustration that I have on iPad isn't about the web. It's about really the production workflow for podcasts. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess maybe I'm skipping ahead to questions that yeah. you have later, but, and I apologize, but just it came to mind. It's more about like the, the audio and the lack of a system shell of a terminal. I still have things that I can only do on the Mac, such as encoding videos with FFM ffmpeg for example encoding videos and you know those kinds of those shell commands that i cannot use on ipad because we don't have a real terminal with the same kind of hardware access as on the mac i could install utilities like ish or a shell on ipad but these are essentially emulators of other terminals they're not native terminal apps for ipad they're sandboxed and even if you install something for video encoding for example you cannot take advantage of hardware acceleration because those shell apps are effectively emulated on ipad Hmm. and so if you want to encode like a 4k video it's going to take you several minutes and on the Mac it takes you like 20 seconds, right? Yeah. And so you, you and also utilities, utilities like Handbrake, for example, which is a, uh, you know, uh, an actual app for video encoding on the Mac. There's no iPad version for that. And most of the time that's actually the case because those apps and those shell um, utilities, they are based on open source programs and those open source programs they have licenses that prevent developers from implementing them in commercial products on the app store so it's a whole mess really it would just be so much easier if apple said look you're a pro- you're a power user here you go there's a terminal and most people will never need it there's a bunch of limitations compared to the mac but still you can install homebrew you can install you know uh, custom packages and you can take advantage of hardware acceleration and you you know this is an actual terminal for you i know that uh you know i i, I talk about this stuff frequently with jason snell of six colors or steve chatton smith and, and you know all these workarounds i mean the fact that i need to use a mac right essentially for two things one quick time <laughs> and the other the terminal i think it's pretty ridiculous at this point yeah yeah, the only thing I need my MacBook Air still for is uh, adding songs to iTunes Match. You still can't. Oh, that's that. another one. <laughs> very yes, very good one. Because like I think it's so annoying that we have a file manager on iPad, 
and we have a pretty solid system for picking files from different apps, opening them in place, making duplicate copies, whatever you want to do. And we have now a, a, a desktop class layout for music on iPad. You also can manage files on your iPhone because let's not forget, even if the iPhone is based on Lightning, you can still plug in either Lightning drives or a USB drive with a Lightning adapter and you can still have the same features on an iPhone. And yet we cannot import music into the music app. And I know that, you know, we probably count as a minority of music users, maybe like, I don't know, 2% of users yeah. are still. <laughs> but, you know, those usually those, those 2% of, of users, they tend to be pretty vocal about it. And I think there's still a lot of people who, you know, I, I say this as someone who actually still owns and manages a music library on a <laughs> Sony Walkman. So <laughs> I, I know that it's like a niche thing, but if you... Like my my basic idea for this is if you can if you can do it on the Mac you should be able to do it on the iPad Pro as well. Yeah. It would be remarkable if they uh, they'll never do this but add USB-C support for uh CD drives where you could import into the music. I mean, uh, I have I'm opening my drawer right now and I can tell you I'm staring at uh what's it called the uh, the super drive that Apple yeah. makes. I have yep. I have one at my desk because as I mentioned, I still like to actually buy uh, music as CDs and rip them to FLAC for my high-resolution Sony Walkman music player. And when I do, again, another thing that I need to use a Mac for, I plug it in via USB and I rip my CD as if it were, you know, 20 years ago (laughs) and I save it as a folder of files and then I move them to my external drive, which is a backup, and to my Sony Walkman. Now, I can actually do this when uh, when I buy music online there's a bunch of websites that sell you like official like not pirated music you can purchase music as flack legally like hd tracks for example um and when i down well hd tracks i cannot download on the ipad but other stores i can actually download music files on my ipad and i can plug in my sony walkman it shows up as a usb drive and i can manage music there but if i want to if i want to rip a cd there's just when you plug it into the iPad, nothing happens. Yeah. And I'm really into soundtracks and a lot of soundtracks are printed in limited mm. edition sets of like 3000 or a thousand copies and it's some licensing thing. And yeah, you need a Mac to get those limited edition yep. CDs in there. Yeah. This episode of iPad Pros is sponsored by Fantastical. For those that want an even deeper dive into Fantastical, I encourage you to go back and listen to episode 84 of this podcast where I had a chance to speak with Michael Simmons from Flexibits all about Fantastical 3.1. Fantastical on the iPad is a truly great experience. The app now brings a desktop class experience to the iPad. This is an app that truly takes advantage of the nice large canvas of the iPad Pro and scales all the way down to an amazing iPhone-sized app size class for slide over and split screen. Like any great desktop class experience, the app features incredible keyboard and trackpad support. You can also use Fantastical in multiple split-screen setups thanks to its multi-window support on iPadOS. Something that I've constantly been disappointed by in the built-in Apple Calendar app has been how well their search actually works. Fantastical has a search that you can actually depend on and use. You can search based on title, location, or invitees. As an example, if I search for Washington, D.C., I'll find that I had in my calendar for May 11th, 2019, the opening of the DC Apple Store. If I do that same search for Washington, D.C. in the built-in app, it includes no results. 
I've tried doing a variety of other searches and have been delighted with Fantastical's results and shocked how poorly the built-in app did with delivering satisfying results. Adding events to your calendar shouldn't be hard, and Fantastical really makes this process as frictionless as possible. They've developed a killer natural language system where we can simply type in what the event is along with the time, date, and location, and it'll smartly put everything into the right fields. The natural language parser also lets you create tasks instead of events by simply starting the new entry with the word task. You can also create recurring events by simply typing in the third Thursday of every month or every night at 8 p.m. Speaking of tasks, Fantastical has really thought out how to integrate the calendar and tasks into one unified system. It works with reminders, Todoist, and Google Tasks. Not everything you are working on every day should be an event, and Fantastical really does a great job at giving you a more complete dashboard of your day by also being a great task manager. Speaking of having a complete dashboard, the app also includes weather data. Free for Everyone is a three-day forecast that is displayed right in your calendar. So right away, you'll know if it'll be a rainy day, what temperature range to expect that day. It is something that once you have, you won't ever want to have a calendar app without this kind of data. And by upgrading to the premium version, you unlock a more expansive 10-day forecast. Speaking of Fantastical being an awesome dashboard, I love the heat map in Fantastical. When you jump over to the year display, you'll see your days color-coded going from a pale yellow to a deep dark red for your busiest days. If you are using a trackpad, you can hover over the days and it'll magnetize to each day as you hover to help you click on the right day. This heat map is especially useful in the widgets. In a tiny square widget, you can quickly identify what day this month is going to be a busy day and what days you could probably get some more things done. On the iPhone, the widgets have truly revolutionized my calendaring experience with these incredible widgets. On my main home screen, I have this small square widget that simply displays the date. With a simple swipe over to my today view, I have as my first widget, the largest widget Fantastical offers, which displays the entire month, a day ticker with the events next up on my calendar, and a little plus icon that lets me add a new event to my calendar. If I want to swap out what that plus button does, I can do that as well. So it can add a task or even change the plus icon to a search button to pull up a calendar search. If those widgets aren't what you were looking for, there are 14 ones to choose from, all of which can be customized to meet your needs. So you have a bunch of different calendars. You can have two widgets on your home screen to display different sets of calendars. This would be super handy if you have, say, a work set of widgets on a different home screen from what you want displayed when you're at home. So why upgrade to the premium version of Fantastical? Well, here's what you get. As mentioned before, you get an expanded weather view showing 10 days of data. Full screen support on all Apple devices to view your calendar by days, weeks, months, or years. Unlimited calendar sets, which enable you to quickly jump between different sets of calendars. This can be triggered if you are a premium subscriber based on the time of day or location. Collaboration is another area where the premium Fantastical really excels. Instead of paying for a separate scheduling software, you can use Fantastical to suggest time and coordinate a meeting with a bunch of different people. There's also much richer time zone support, including favoriting all the time zones you work in and coordinate with most often. You have the ability to combine duplicate events. This is something I've long wanted in a calendaring app. And hide events on a shared calendar you really don't need to see. There's also incredible rich web conferencing integration 
for Fantastical Premium subscribers, which includes automatic link detection. So this is how it works. All upcoming events with the conference call will automatically show a badge in the list, day, and week views. Even better, events with the conference call will also show a join button in the list, day, and week views to let you join your conference call with a single tap when the event is about to begin. Another great thing as a premium subscriber is you can create templates. These templates are created from existing events or tasks, so you can easily reuse them. Selecting a template will instantly copy all the details from the template into a new task or event. Another great feature in Fantastical Premium are the custom event colors. Currently, your calendar is probably color-coded based on the calendar itself, but in Fantastical Premium, you can color-code on the event itself, not the calendar. This is a feature I've long wanted and really helpful in being able to more easily glance at your calendar to figure out what's going on. And as a premium subscriber, you can fully customize your calendar with nine different icons and 19 different custom alert sounds. You can get all this right now by heading over to flexibits.com slash iPad pros. Get 20% off Fantastical Premium by signing up at flexibits.com slash iPad pros. Download Fantastical today for free from the App Store. My thanks to Fantascal for sponsoring this very special episode of iPad Pros. Head on over to flexibits.com slash iPad Pros to sign up for Fantascal Premium at 20% off. Show your support of iPad Pros by signing up at flexibits.com slash iPad Pros. Your review of iPad OS is extensive every single year. It's one of the most in-depth ones, and I just love reading it. Oh, thank you. And learning just all these little little Easter eggs in the iPad that, you know, I, I miss in my day-to-day interactions. Um, what does that research phase look like for you? How do you go out finding all these little hidden gems scattered across mm. the OS? Well, it's, uh, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It was easier for me this year because, so I'm trying to make it sound fun, but it's really boring. <laughs> so I was trying to make it fun for the show. But it basically consists of me spending a lot of time uh, browsing Twitter and Reddit and my email because people are kind enough to send me these little notes about things they discover and uh, the Apple website, especially the features page of the Apple website and just saving and absorbing all kinds of information, all kinds of details, saving those either as text or as uh, screenshots or links in the, in Apple Notes. Now, I plan on using Craft, which is this other note-taking app that I've been using in the future, but this year I used Notes. And uh, it just... It's like, usually it's like a, a one week or 10 day process where I just browse, take notes and save all kinds of stuff. This year it was a little easier because as I mentioned, um, John Voorhees, uh, he, he works with me at Mac Stories. Uh, he made a Twitter list of essentially developers and other Apple people and um, he just called it the apps list. And so it was a lot easier for me after WWDC to just open this list as a timeline in Twitter for iPhone and just find, you know, if you follow those kinds of people, it's pretty likely that after WWDC, all all they're going to tweet about is iOS and iPadOS. (laughs) And so it was a lot easier to condense that information in in a single screen. But yeah, basically, the workflow is basically like I save, like if it's a tweet, I would double check that the person tweeting that information is correct. So I double check on my end that the feature or that design actually exists and uh, and I make a note in Apple Notes. Then I 
basically, I, once I have this mess, this huge pile of comments, tweets, Reddit threads, screenshots, I organize them one by one in sections. The, all that information plus the notes that I take in, you know, watching sessions, I try to make order uh, for all of them, I try to organize them in sec- in chapters and sections and subsections, and it it takes a lot it takes a long time, but it's it's the only way to be comprehensive, if you will, about it. And sometimes people tweet something, and I save it, and it just doesn't sound right. And so, for example, I may have to double check with Apple on like, hey, is this information actually correct? Is it you know does this feature actually exist? And uh, one thing that that I remember from this process this summer was somebody tweeted back in June and they had a screenshot which is why I saved that tweet they tweeted hey uh, did you notice that uh, in iOS 14 the messages app actually places the typing indicators you know the little thinking bubbles yeah um, next to your mouth in your profile picture (laughs) and they had a screenshot of the new pinned profile pictures in messages for iOS 14 and it did look like the thinking bubble was actually coming was actually placed in different spots and it did look like it was actually aligned with each person's mouth in the different profile pictures and I thought wow this that's pretty awesome that they're doing image analysis for for that kind of stuff I mean it's such a <laughs> right. lovely detail it's you know people say oh this is classic Apple attention to detail and that tweet I like thousands of likes and I thought well this must be legit I'm gonna save it and then it just I just couldn't replicate it during the summer and I checked with Apple and they said, Well, that's awesome, but it's actually just a happy coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a lot of saving information, double checking and double checking multiple times. Also because things change during the betas. So yeah, it's uh it's a lot of work and uh I, I'm trying to get better at uh, managing my time for that because there's an argument to be made for, you know, most people will never notice this and a lot of people don't care if you get this detail just slightly wrong mm-hmm. but uh, it matters to me and so I like to think that it also matters to somebody else. Yeah. And do you keep an old iPad around running the production yes. OS to reference? <laughs> yeah. Multiple ones. <laughs> I Yeah. This year I had... Um, a 2018 iPad Pro, a 2020 iPad Pro, an 11-inch 2018 iPad Pro, and an iPad Mini. So four of them. Yeah. And do you play around with the Mini much on the betas to see like how that feels from a size perspective? Or is that yeah. really... Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to check how it would feel with multi-column and things like, uh, you know, the new sidebars on iPad. So I I, I did install the, the beta very early on on the iPad Mini as well. Yeah. And uh, also in terms of performance, performance right because it's not it's not the it's not an ipad pro i mean it's still relatively modern ever since apple refreshed it last year but it's still no pro so i wanted to check how does it actually look like right. and i want to say that that i do actually use the mini uh essentially every day as my reading device i've been trying to and i've been struggling but i'm trying not to bring the ipad pro in the bedroom when i'm done working for the day and so i have actually made a little 
charging station for the iPad mini in the bedroom. And that iPad mini I use as my media iPad. So it's got, uh, you know, uh, books and, and comic books. I like reading manga, which are Japanese comic books on the iPad. And it's got Reader, which I use as my RSS client and Read Later app. So I try to, I try and switch modes that way as well, if you will, uh, like actually having a separate physical device so that I can relax and, you know, not think about work at night. But like I said, I'm struggling. Also because... Uh, like that you know something like dolphin the emulator that i mentioned a few minutes ago uh, that works a lot better on the big ipad pro right Right. especially in terms of performance and so resisting the temptation of checking twitter or checking my email one last time before going to sleep is always uh, quite problematic yeah do you leave the iphone out of the room to avoid jumping to that no no i do keep the iphone uh, just because I like to listen to music before I fall asleep um, and uh, I also like to unwind by checking like entertainment websites. I watch a lot of, uh, <laughs> I know that this is an unpopular thing, <laughs> I watch a lot of trash television <laughs> to unwind at night, stupid like reality shows yeah. and stuff like that. It's absolutely necessary to keep my sanity. <laughs> and so I browse around like Italian entertainment websites or Instagram, right, just to yeah. check on my friends. So that's why I keep my iPhone. But uh, I think I'm better at if anything, uh, the iPhone makes it harder to manage distractions. It's the the iPad is the other way around. The iPad sort of pushes pushes me to work, and the i the iPhone actually I need to check. You know, I'm spending too much time reading about you know Italian Big Brother on this website. I should do something else. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it's not a huge problem on the iPhone. Yeah. So. With iPadOS 14, one of the more peculiar decisions, I thought, is this new, taller, quick-type bar that hides some pretty essential UI elements in many apps. Do you think this is Apple kind of urging developers to move those elsewhere? I'd imagine Apple must have ran into those with them using it. I would think so. I'm, I'm really not a fan of whatever it is they're doing with that extra keyboard row. I still don't think that they've done it right in iPadOS 14, the new menu to dismiss it. it it's actually slower to use than before because you now have to tap twice if you want to dismiss the extra keyboard row. And still, they haven't really fixed the main issue of... Sometimes you're using split view, right? And you have one of those apps is in compact mode. And in compact mode, you have to place controls at the bottom of the screen because there's not enough space at the top. And that extra keyboard work constantly covers those controls at the bottom of that compact application in split view. And I find it so annoying also because like when you dismiss it, then as soon as you tap in again in say like a text editor, for example, it comes up again and it covers the controls at the bottom of that application so i think yeah they should push developers to place controls at the top of the screen but also the message is inconsistent because they said you need to place controls like in developer documentation and in design documents that they shared they said we recommend that you place controls at the top of the screen but then fall back to placing them at the bottom in a toolbar at the bottom if you're in a compact size class but also like then as a user i look at it and i say yeah but in in a compact size class those controls are covered when i'm using an external keyboard so i would actually rip out and redo the whole thing because (laughs) i really i really i really feel like they they've added so many different like it's it's so easy for this system to fall apart right now because there are so many different scenarios in which you could have different size classes an external keyboard connected or not the external keyboard row dismissed or not that i really think they should 
find another way around it. Maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe the bar shouldn't cover apps anymore. Maybe apps should just sit above the keyboard row. I don't know. Yeah. Still, uh, I, I'm not in love with the way that it works. Yeah, thinking back, I actually run this with iMessage quite a bit. I can't send iMessages because the stupid things being covered. Yeah. Yeah, or like usually I have Safari in compact mode, and uh, when when the keyboard row covers it, I, um, it, I cannot. Uh, for example, the tabs button is at the bottom, and I cannot choose between tabs. It's a whole mess. They should just find another way to make it work. Yeah. So this year you published a lot of eBooks along with the review. Is that something? You'd use pages on the iPad to create. I know your team probably helped you with some maybe tools on the Mac for this, or what was the process for those eBooks? Yeah, I see. That's another thing where I I need a Mac for. We commissioned years ago. We have a custom script. So basically, all those eBooks are generated with a with a shell command on on the Mac on the, via the terminal. There's this um, technology called Pandoc which is uh, basically creates EPUB files from a Markdown source. And Pandoc uh, only works on a terminal. And so we have this custom script that it's a heavily, like it's a heavily modified version of Pandoc uh, done by Brett Terpstra, of course, he's a, he's a wizard. And it's got all these custom things for the Mac Stories eBooks, like the galleries and the video players and the image captions and the footnotes, all that kind of stuff. And so... Uh, John actually generates these ebooks for me. He has all the scripts installed on his Mac, and he runs this command, and he create, you know, he takes in the Markdown input for my review and the cover, like as a JPEG for the ebook, and a bunch of other additional files, and it spits out an ebook. And that is just not possible in Pages. All the custom controls that I want to have for interactive galleries, for the little download boxes for my shortcuts, for example, all those things. I just cannot do in pages. I could have done it, I think, maybe not with the same flexibility and it would have been a lot slower. I could have done it in iBooks Author. I actually did enjoy working in iBooks Author seven years ago a lot on my Mac. Uh, There were a lot of tools that are still nowhere to be found in pages. But at this point, the the setup that we have for the Mac Stories eBooks is so custom. I you know, thinking of doing it manually in pages, it would just be such a waste of time mm-hmm. and it wouldn't be worth the effort. So once again, another thing why I would love to have a terminal on my iPad because all those, you know, that would just work without me having to use a Mac. So yeah. Yeah. So another content creation stuff, besides ebooks, a video. So LumaFusion, they're working on full multicam support, kind of the way Final Cut Pro does it with where you're just clicking on the video you want to watch as you're doing it real-time editing. Do you see this kind of feature pushing more and more pros to the iPad? Like what else is missing for video editors to move to iPad? I'm really not a video person, but from what I hear, I guess, I think it would really help to have um, more RAM on the device. A bigger iPad Pro model, I think a lot of video makers would make an argument for having something like a 15-inch or a 16-inch iPad Pro. You know, something that can sit on your desk and be 
large and comfortable enough, but still have the crazy power of the A12Z, or in this case, I guess we're going to get the M1 in the form of an A14X or something. Yeah. Um, so that kind of performance in, in an even bigger iPad Pro with more RAM, I think it would just be incredible. And I think a lot of people would also like to have more streamlined access to external storage sources. I think being able to, for example, to, to save a particular folder located on an external drive as a little bookmark on your home screen, I think that would save a lot of people a lot of time. And I would also say that on the iPad, it's impossible to have those kinds of automations that you can do on the Mac, such as, you know, things like Hazel, for example, or just a standard folder actions that you can set up on the Mac uh, so that when something specific happens in a folder, you can have an automation that does something, you know, specific for you. And those folder-based automations you cannot do on a, uh, on, a, on the iPad because of sandboxing. So I think speeding up file management for people who find themselves constantly plugging in and, you know, external storage sources, it would help. And, and also, I would mention the iPad Pro is limited to one terabyte of built-in storage. I think there's an argument to be made for people maybe needing two terabytes, maybe yeah. even four terabytes. And I think the M1 Max can be configured with up to one terabyte and actually two terabyte, two terabytes. So I would like to see a two terabyte iPad Pro. With the, if it ends up having the, you know, uh, the A14X based on the M1, two Thunderbolt ports and uh, double the capacity for built in storage, eight gigs of RAM. That, that would be pretty sweet, I think. Yeah. And I think we'll be getting HDR support on those new iPads. Yes. Do you know if people want to edit like these Dolby Vision videos? captured on iphone can the ipad output hdr to an external monitor that supports it is that capable of doing that through that port the USB-C port i've tried to do this with my ultrafine 4k and the ipad pro and i have never been able to to make it work i've also tried to do it with my tv which i know that the tv for sure supports both hdr and dolby vision and uh, i've never been able to figure it out I think I've only been able to make it work via HDMI. I also tried to do this two years ago, so my memory may be a little spotty there. I don't think I've ever been able to do it via USB-C. Yeah, I'm curious if that's something they would add then as well to be able to work with that. It would be nice to have like an, ex an external HDR monitor and you just plug in the iPad Pro and it also supports the HDR without having to do anything crazy. Yeah. Do you do much uh, video game like capture, recording gameplay and sharing that? Is that something you're into at all? Uh, no, no, I've never done that. I know that, uh, uh, yeah, I, I tried years ago, but it was on my Mac. I purchased like three, four years ago, like an Elgato capture card. And I did record a bunch of gameplay for the Nintendo Switch when the Nintendo Switch first came out. I guess I thought I wanted to stream on mm -hmm. Twitch more. Yeah. And so I figured, yeah, I'm just going to purchase a capture card and then I'm going to stream. But then I just never did it. Because, you know, it's hard to make time when you're writing and you also have podcasts to think about also streaming. Right. You know, it's, you got to make it, the, you got to say no to some things in life. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So I, I don't do that much. Also, I don't know. I, I always uh, second guess myself whenever I I share. Like I tend to share a lot fewer personal things online these days. And so the idea of, you know, because I see video game time as as personal time. I think I used to be different 10 years ago. I was I was 
maybe oversharing to an extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe just the way, you know, maybe just growing up or just the way that the world has gone over the past few years, the way that social media has changed over the past few years. But I tend to share a lot less of what I do in my personal time. And uh, I, because I see video game time as part of that, like the idea of also documenting what I do and sharing what I do when I'm just having a little time for myself, maybe maybe that's why I'm a little hesitant to do it. Yeah, I found... I used to do it, and I found whenever I did it, I loved some of the stuff I got, but I also didn't enjoy playing the video games nearly as much. Right, exactly. I don't want to... Because my concern, it's exactly that. Like, I don't want to turn it into work. Like, I already have Remaster, and so to an extent, having a video game podcast kind of sort of makes it about work but the way that remaster works thankfully is we don't cover all the games that we that we play we don't you know it's a different type of game podcast and so i still feel like when i when i play video games it's so easy for me to fall in the trap of making everything that i do about work right like oh yeah. i'm researching this new app i guess this is about work or like oh i came across this interesting music website i'm gonna add it to my music shortcut like stuff like that for example right so i i like having that little island for myself where you know it's just i'm playing a bit of game and it's not about work i don't need i don't have to care about recording my gameplay and commenting it and and explaining it to people online yeah do you think ipad os will ever get support for those external capture devices and this they was, should yeah. it should they they should totally add support like i do think that uh, all kinds of accessories that you can use on your mac you should be you should be able to use them on, on an ipad pro as well yeah, because yeah, people, they even like digitizing their own home video VHS tapes, and that would be the same technology that would enable that. Yeah. Are there any other like accessories that you can think of? Like, I know scanners and like any other things that are just not working on iPad um, that you want to in the future? The Super Drive. They should really add support, <laughs> right. for, should really add support for the Super Drive. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, capture cards were a really good idea. USB audio interfaces, as I mentioned. Yeah, I cannot think of anything else at this point. Yeah. I think I would be pretty happy with audio and with the super drive. <laughs> Scanners are a really good one. Yeah, I cannot think of anything else at the moment. Yeah. So email must be something you get a ton of. Like, how do you manage this on the iPad so it's not just consuming your entire life? Well, it's funny because just this past few days, we we were actually were in the process of switching to Hey for email. I've been trying it for myself, for my personal work address for for a few days now. And I'm like, I was really a, a skeptical at first. I didn't buy into the Hey hype months ago when it first came out in the summer. Also because I was so busy with the review, I didn't really have the time to think about this. But I've been feeling very overwhelmed uh, with my email uh, for a while now, for a few months now, and I know that John uh, has been feeling the same way. Uh, and I, and I, you know, every time, especially since I, you know, since September, I think every time I opened my email, I just felt this sense of dread and just feeling disorganized. I used for years Sanebox, which is an additional service on top of Gmail, which we use for work. We we, we are a G Suite uh, company, but even with Sanebox and that kind of categorization, I think it's. I've reached the point where we got so much 
email, for better or worse, you know, developers, companies, newsletters, updates, that just the amount of email has become unmanageable. And it is unmanageable because of the way that email works by default. Now that I've had the time to actually research and read about and test, hey, what I find really interesting about it is how they're trying to change the default behaviors of email. It shouldn't be that anybody should just be allowed to email you by default. And so they have this feature called the screener, which allows you to basically just like you can screen phone calls and say, no, I don't want this person to ever call me again. You can effectively approve folks that want to send you messages. Also, what I like is how they separate, you know, messages from people, from newsletters, from also receipts and other kinds of updates. All the different little touches that they have, like built-in support for saving little bits of text from your messages as clips. Uh, you can reply to something later. You can save messages as bookmarks in, the, in a feature called Set Aside. All these little custom features on top of email. Like for the first time in years, I feel like I've been able to breathe when I open my inbox. And uh, I think we will be testing the new Hey for Work uh, service, which is invite-only at the moment, because that for us, I think it's also going to be even more important because we're a small team, but we do need to, even though we're not a lot of people, we do need to have collaboration built in. And the features that Hey is going to launch as part of the Hey for Work plan, uh, you will be able to collaborate on messages to leave private comments inside of messages. And also you will be able to organize multiple threads and different messages into collections and you can share those collections with your team so uh even though we are we are a small operation we're not a one-man thing anymore i do need to to coordinate with different people we're now you know well into the first decade of mac stories and we need to treat it as a serious business and and, and i feel like the way that we've been using email for the past few years it could really use an optimization it could really use a new workflow and I feel like, hey, is that kind of workflow that we wanted to have? And using it with your personal account, do you just forward your personal email into that? Yeah, for now, I'm just forwarding my emails there. And uh, when I want to reply from my maxstories.net address, I still like open mail and reply from there. But other times, I, I have been replying with the default uh, uh, hey.com address because you cannot buy a custom domain right now. So uh, I'm still like in a transitioning phase where what I open to check my email is the Hey app on my iPhone and iPad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but when I want to reply, if I have to reply from my Mac Stories address, I need I still need to open Apple Mail because yeah. our email is just is still actually running in G Suite. I'm just forwarding messages to Hey. Yeah. I love my at me and at iCloud address, and I'd love if Hey could like integrate or alias it or something. I'd, yeah, I don't know. I, I I've heard great things about Hey, and their iPad app is decent. I've heard a lot about their iPhone app, but not as much about the iPad experience. Yeah, I could use multi-column. Uh, it doesn't have multi-column support yet, but at the very least, it supports keyboard shortcuts and and split view. I will be filing feedback about uh, multi-column support very soon. We reached the point where we were talking with the team and we figured we're all 
basically so frustrated right now because we're losing because ultimately like the real damage is you're losing messages right you're not Mm -hmm. maybe a message came in and you just couldn't see it in this you know uh, overflowing inbox that you have and maybe you you missed like the launch of a new application or something that we could have covered uh, before a Mac stories or maybe you missed a receipt or something or an invoice right and as I mentioned we're a medium sized company and we need to you know we need to take back control of our email communication I think because we've done such an excellent job in for example adapting Slack to us with custom apps and custom integrations and that's been working out really well for us over the past few years and I think it's time that we now do the same thing for email something new something fresh that uh, that too much email is just it's it's bad for me and it's bad for everybody and uh, yeah we'll see how it goes I guess I mean it's not Nothing is, you know, we, we can try hey for a couple of months, see how it goes. And then if you don't like it, we can switch back. It's not like the end of the world. Yeah. Are there any other new tools you've adopted over the past year? I really want to mention Craft. Um, Craft, it's a new note-taking app that came out a few weeks ago. I've been using it in beta for the past few months. It's really an incredible tool for note-taking and for research. It's like, I, the easiest way to describe it is it's like a native version of Notion done well. Mm. It's got a lot of the same features of Notion in how you can structure your notes and your documents using these blocks. You have like a slash single um, taxi type a slash and then you enter like the block the type of block that you want to add but just as uh you know the idea of structuring your notes with different blocks uh with different pages and you can have like sub pages within a note support for rich links support for markdown support for linking back and forth between notes and having backlinks for those notes, it makes it really incredible for research. I know, for example, a lot of people that I've talked to lately have gotten into this method called the, the Zettelkasten method for note-taking and research. And Craft works really well for that kind of workflow where you save, a, you save a lot of notes for you know about a specific topic and then you just link everything together. So I've been switching a lot of my uh, more serious note-taking, like my collaborative notes, or I have this pretty long note in in the notes app where I save all my ideas for shortcuts that I want to make for stuff that I want to make for the club and I've been switching all of those to craft so I have uh, really huge hopes for craft in terms of what they will be able to accomplish with note taking and research especially on iOS and iPadOS it's really one of the best uh you know it doesn't it doesn't happen often these days that I'm impressed with with a new app just because I've like I've seen so many at this point, right? And yeah. and I don't want to say that I've seen everything. I don't want to say, oh, I know everything. I'm you know I'm the god of apps. <laughs> no, but I've seen. I think I've seen enough at this point. And you know, sometimes you you can tell when something has that spe- that special something that makes it stand out from the rest. And Craft is definitely one of the one of those products. Yeah, and the whole research app scene seems to be exploding. And yes, I, I will be curious to see the next year or two like with Devon Think finally being serious yep. ahead and where this all goes. Yeah, Devon Think and also Keep It is another app to pay attention to. The developer made by an indie developer called Steve Harris has been making Keep It for over a decade. It used to be together before 
I think. Uh, Keep It is also like a like a lightweight but better integrated version of Devon Think. Excellent shortcuts integration on on iOS and iPadOS. And also, I want to watch the as you mentioned the research space. I think it's really interesting what all these web services are doing. Right, so Notion, Rome Research, Obsidian is another and all of these are web first and i want to see if there's enough demand if they will make native ipad versions yeah especially i think notion should really reconsider what they're doing on iphone and ipad because they have this effectively like this uh this thin clients this these wrappers around a web view and i think they could really use you know take a look at what craft is doing for example and uh you know rethink your native experience on ipad but yeah the research space maybe i don't know maybe it's the effect of 2020 and the lockdowns people spending a lot of time at home doing research taking notes <laughs> studying yeah. i don't know but yeah I, I've, I've noticed this too yeah and speaking of working at home and stuff do you think we'll finally with ipad os 15 get webcam support while in split screen is that something apple will finally address uh, I know, right? I I I was expecting this to to be the case in in fourteen. I thought it was really surprising how the OS launching in twenty twenty doesn't have better support for Zoom on an iPad. I thought that was really surprising. Yeah. So I would be shocked if they don't do this in in, in iPad OS fifteen. Yeah. So wrapping up, I just have a couple more things to to ask. Uh, multipad lifestyle. You mentioned the iPad Mini. What does multipad lifestyle for you mean? Are you still kind of doing that i think as i mentioned it's pretty split between work mode and and you know unwinding at the end of the day mode so i keep different apps on the two ipads so all my work stuff is on the ipad pro all my media stuff is on the is on the the ipad mini so trying to keep it separate not for example doing things like not installing slack on the ipad mini not installing my work email on the ipad mini that really helps it's a physical separation of of the two modes which makes it easy i guess some people for the you know when they when they talk about the multi-pad lifestyle they 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 mean more the idea of actually keeping both iPads exactly the same, but you just have different iPads. And I tried that and I, I didn't really like it because ultimately, you know, the two iPads were never like the other. There were always some differences. Maybe it's the way that I set them up. I don't know. But I do I do prefer this way. Like there's an actual physical and an obvious separation between the two. And it's impossible, you know, it's impossible to to mix them up. One is for work, the other is for media. Yeah. I used to use the old iPad Pros with the support for the Logitech charging stand over a smart connector. I had two iPad Pros next to each other and had a keyboard that could just hot switch between them and just use them on the stands. And it was kind of a nice, clean setup that way. Yeah, that's, yeah. I've, I've tried to do the... To do it, for example, with the uh, with the twelve point nine inch iPad Pro and with the eleven inch iPad Pro, and I thought I'm gonna set them up the same way, and I'm gonna have the same apps and the same home screen, and uh, you know I'm gonna write on the iPad Pro, and then I'm gonna do everything else on the on on the eleven inch on the smaller one. And ultimately, I just I just love working on the big iPad Pro so much because of the bigger display, because split view is easier to use, and drag and drop is easier to use, and videos are bigger and better, yeah. and you know, so ultimately, I was always forgetting to use the the other iPad Pro. Right. So something on the Mac you're able to do is use an iPad to control it. MFC Dex, one of the new apps that's doing this, but there's a lot of apps that do this. Do you think we'll get this one day? This kind of API support needed to do more robust, like using an iPhone to control your iPad as kind of an external touchscreen. 
in some ways. I, I don't think Apple will do it in terms of um, like having a, like an Apple utility that does that. I feel like there are other things that they should prioritize instead of a, instead of an API or a framework for remote control of stuff. It would be interesting though to to have something similar to the Apple Events framework that exists for macOS on iPad. I do think that something, maybe it shouldn't be called Apple Events, maybe it should be a, a rethought version of Apple Events, but the idea of having this deeper communication and direct communication between apps at a, with, with very specific events that they can send to each other, like, hey, open this document, or hey, scroll to this area in this document, in this page. Like, that idea, I think, is, is a, fundamentally a good one and a valid one. So while maybe it shouldn't necessarily be like an API for controlling like your media uh, center, whatever, uh, or like, you know, opening VLC, you know, something that those utilities usually do. But generally speaking, I think more direct communication between apps using a similar framework could be interesting for more purposes. Yeah. Something I've noticed is sometimes when I enter splits view, a text-based app will lose its scroll position pretty drastically yeah it would be nice exactly and it would be nice also to like if you think about it in the context of shortcuts it would be nice if you could so for example if you think about apple script on the mac right uh in apple script you can do things like give me the url of the frontmost safari window and the second tab you can have the very descriptive kind of access the very descriptive control and in shortcuts while you can pass if you think about it in shortcuts you can pass data right to an application or you can retrieve data via search from an app but you can't really say hey what's the frontmost window right now mm -hmm. in ulysses or what's currently selected in ia writer right you don't really have access to the current state of the app in shortcuts and that's something that i would like to see in the future like having access native access in shortcuts to the state of an app rather than just say uh you know create delete and retrieve which is effectively what you can do in shortcuts right now querying the state of an app is something that i miss from from automation on the mac yeah and then i've noticed something you know in my own personal life that no matter how capable the ipad becomes that people just want to keep using their macbooks because that's what they're used to is this a phenomenon you've noticed as well i think i used to i think i used to notice it more before i i have noticed i want to say in especially in the past two years a lot of like a lot of friends of mine have been more interested in the ipad pro i think finally we've reached the point where the idea that the ipad pro exists and that it supports keyboards and it can be used as like a portable computer i think it's starting to work this strategy is, is starting to work i've noticed well I guess anecdotally, I have noticed it with my friends. Like they used to be pretty opposed to the idea of you know using an iPad as a as a computer. But what I've noticed is that, for example, I have a you know a couple of friends of mine. They mentioned I need to use a Mac because I need a bigger display, or because this is the Mac that I'm gonna you know use at the you know at at you know friend of mine she manages a, a 
a school, uh, a dance school, and she wants to have a computer by the reception desk, right? And so in that case, she said, I want to have a bigger Mac. I want to have a bigger display. But a lot of friends of mine over the past couple of years have actually said, yeah, I think iPad Pro is going to be fine because I can, I can use a keyboard and I can, you know, I can do email, Safari, you know, Google Docs, whatever it is they need to do. I think it used to be more of a thing before. And maybe all these advertisements and, you know, this really powerful iPad Pros and finally with the Magic Keyboard and the trackpad, I think a lot of people are starting to come around on that idea. So I'm hopeful that this will continue in the future. And I noticed this because I have been able to sell all of my used iPad Pros <laughs> <laughs> to, to friends of mine or to acquaintances of mine. And this used to, I used to struggle with this before with older iPads. Yeah. And, uh, and I've always been able to sell all of my old iPad Pros recently. So I think that's a good sign. That is, yeah. Yeah, it's remarkable, the trackpad. I almost forget life pre-trackpad on iPad and just so natural now that it's here. Yeah. So anything we haven't covered they'd like to before we wrap it up? I just want to say that if you're uh, if you're a developer uh, and you're making apps for iPad, please do consider supporting all these incredible new technologies that we have today, right? Uh, so yeah. the, the, the system pointer, drag and drop, split view, multi-window, the new sidebars, multi-column. There's never been a better time to jump in and make a great iPad app experience for iPad, which it's not just going to be an iPad app. It can easily become a Mac app now, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you're using Swift UI or you know some other framework, uh, you can take advantage of Catalyst and you can use the new Optimize for Mac flavor of Catalyst. It's super easy to translate your iPad experience to the Mac if you want to have a you know a different kind of market for your application. So uh, I think it's an we're living in, we're fortunate to live in incredible times for technology at least the technological progress on ipad on all kinds of apple computers really but especially on ipad has been really fantastic to observe over the past few years and i think we're now seeing all these incredible tools come out that take advantage of the power of these devices and ultimately i think what's beautiful about ipad and the reason why i say if you're a developer, please consider making an iPad app. This idea of having a computer, a powerful computer that can always be with you and that can always adapt to you, that gives you the freedom and the peace of mind of knowing, you know, I can use this with a keyboard, I can use it with a trackpad, or I can just hold it in my hands and use my fingers. I think that's such an empowering message. You know, the idea of allowing everybody, whether you're a kid or a student or a senior, to work with a powerful computer, no matter your skill level, no matter your knowledge of computer. No matter your proficiency with gestures or keyboards, I think that is a really beautiful and empowering message that makes the iPad to this day still my favorite device, my favorite computer, because it's so it's got that freedom built in. So yeah, that that was the last thing I wanted to say. Well said, and uh, just mentioning Craft again. They also have amazing trackpad support with that custom little yep. icon they throw in there. It's yes. just lovely. So where can people find your fantastic iPad OS 14 review and all the podcasts you, you do? Uh, you can go to MacStories.net. Uh, and especially, you know, we're talking about iPad. We do have a specific, uh, like a page on MacStories uh, all about the iPad and the coverage that I've done or, and the, the team has done over the years, including my reviews. You can go to MacStories.net slash iPad. Very, very easy. It's a collection of uh, all stories and links and photos and app reviews, all kinds of things where you that you can find about the iPad there. And otherwise, you can just go to AppStories.net and you can listen to my weekly show there. Great. Thank you so much, Federico, for your time today. It's been amazing chatting with you and learning about more about how you use the iPad. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, that was my interview with Federico. 
Thanks again to Federico for his time recording this very special episode of Ipet Pros. You can find his work over at MacStories.net, and also make sure to check out his really great iPad-focused podcast, Adapt. As a reminder, please head on over to flexibits.com slash iPadPros to show your support of this podcast and get 20% off Fantastical Premium. That's flexibits.com slash iPadPros. This is a very limited time offer, so please act now before it's gone. Thank you for your time and attention tuning in to this episode. I'll talk to everyone again in two weeks for another episode of iPad Pros. Thanks for listening.